Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Colorado prairie dog enjoying a biscuit next to me is Ellen. I do enjoy biscuits. Have a biscuit, Ellen. Yay. (laughs) But let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Seamus continues his streak of awkward exits. Harry continues his streak of blowing up at his friends, who continue their streak of trying their best to be understanding. Hagrid continues his streak of being missing. Class timetables continue their streak of making students miserable. Fred and George continue their streak of being, well, Fred and George. Cho Chang continues her streak of awkward conversations with Harry. And Snape continues his streak of being a great potions master while also being a shitty teacher and a massive buzzkill. During episode 138, HRBF, our Potter pondering was, do you think Hermione ever noticed that Snape wrote the directions on the board and they were not the exact same as they were in the potions book? Hey Ellen, hey Katie, Jackson here with this week's Potter Pondering. So, no, I don't think Hermione noticed because, see, I actually don't agree with him writing his modified versions of the spells on the blackboard. I don't agree with that because, here's the thing, if that were the case, in Half-Blood Prince, when Harry started doing potions that way, Hermione would have noticed then. Hermione always has her nose in a book. And that would mean that Snape's instructions match the book when he taught. Because also Hermione refuses to use the prince's directions. She resolutely sticks with the official instructions. So, you know, if Snape had been doing his modified instructions on the blackboard the whole time... Hermione would have noticed this. You know, she would have seen that they were different from the way the book wrote them. Hermione's always looking at books. She would have seen it. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Did Hermione notice that Snape's directions often differed from the book directions? I think she did. I think that's why, even though she is an amazing student... And she did good. Her potions weren't perfect like a lot of her work in the other classes. I think she stuck to the book primarily, and that's what fucked her up. Maybe she noticed that they were different, but she was going by the book. Because I don't care what anybody says, Sarah's rendition of Hermione in her fanfic hits home with me. And I think that's Hermione. That's fucking Hermione. And Hermione wouldn't be giving a fuck what Snape said, especially with Snape being a whole fucking asshole to her and everybody else that's not in Slytherin. Yeah, she was like, nah, he's trying to fuck with us. This is right. And mine didn't come out right because I must have fucked it up some type of way. 
No, no, he's fucking with us. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's Hermione. She knows it, but Hermione is by the book Hermione. And Hermione follows the book because fuck Snape. Hi, ladies. This is Tom again. I want to state that I do believe that Hermione did notice the difference between the book and the what Snape put on the blackboard. She just dismissed what Snape wrote down because... In her mind, the book is always correct. And I just have to say, I never noticed that all the times I've read Order of the Phoenix, and that is great foreshadowing for a Half-Blood Prince. Bye. Hi, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering. So for starters, I think that Snape may not have had special instructions for every single potion they made in class, just some of the more difficult ones. But I think at least Hermione knew because she was so meticulous about her studies and note-taking. Snape wrote his version of the ingredients and instructions on the board, and everyone else in class probably just followed along without even opening the book at all, which is why, by noting the differences Snape made in studying those as well as the book, that's how she got an outstanding in her OWL. And then Harry and Ron just copied Hermione's notes for their homework, so they never noticed. That's also why she got so annoyed with Harry when he was using the prince's book, because she was used to doing so well through Snape's little changes, and now that all she has are the book's instructions, she isn't having the same results, and she's too proud to admit why. So, thank you. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what is the name of Chapter 1 of Defensive Magical Theory? Chapter 1 was titled Basics for Beginners, which is a really weird title for fifth-year students. Right? Mm-hmm. Congratulations goes to... Megan Slater! Woohoo! We are on three weeks in a row for her now. She is getting this streak up and going. Do you think she's going to end up catching mics? We shall see. I mean, who knows? For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge, Part 2. When the bell rings, they make their way down the ladder as Ron complains about the amount of homework they have already received and says that Umbridge woman better not give them any too. When they enter the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom, They find her already seated at the teacher's desk, wearing the same fluffy pink cardigan and a black velvet bow on top of her head. The class is completely quiet, as she's an unknown quantity, and they aren't sure how strict of a disciplinarian she will be. Once the whole class sits down, she greets them with a good afternoon, and demands they reply with good afternoon, Professor Umbridge, after only a few mumble and initial response. She tries again and the class chants the response back to her. She sweetly comments on how that wasn't too difficult, then tells them to put their wands away and get their quills out. This does not excite the class as wands away has yet to be followed by an interesting lesson. As everyone gets out their quills, ink, and parchment, Professor Umbridge waves her unusually short wand to make the words Defense Against the Dark Arts, a return to basic principles, appear on the board. She comments on how their teaching in this subject has been extremely fragmented, with the constant changing of teachers and a lack of ministry-approved curriculum, 
It's left many of them below the expected standard for their OWL year. She informs them that they will be pleased to know that this is being corrected with a carefully structured, theory-centered, ministry-approved course of defensive magic, and asks them to copy down the following. With another wave of her wand, the first message is replaced by the course aims. 1. Understanding the principles underlying defensive magic. 2. Learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can legally be used. 3. Placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use. After everyone has copied these three items down, she asks if everyone has a copy of Defensive Magical Theory by Wilbert Slinkhard and demands they try it again, this time responding either yes, Professor Umbridge, or no, Professor Umbridge. She repeats the question, and when the whole class responds with a yes, Professor Umbridge, she directs them to turn to page 5 and read Chapter 1, Basics for Beginners, adding that there will be no need to talk. Reading the first chapter is desperately dull, and after several silent minutes, Harry is surprised to see that Hermione hasn't even opened her book and is staring fixedly at Professor Umbridge with her hand in the air. He looks at her questioningly, but she just shakes her head and continues to stare at Umbridge, who is resolutely looking the other way. After several more minutes, more and more people are choosing to watch Hermione rather than read the chapter, and eventually Umbridge decides she can no longer ignore her. She asks if she has a question about the chapter, and when Hermione explains that it isn't about the chapter, the new teacher first tries to direct her back to reading, saying she will deal with other queries at the end of class. Hermione informs her that she has a question about the course aims, which causes Umbridge to raise her eyebrows and ask her name. When she responds that she is Hermione Granger, Umbridge sweetly tells her that she thinks they are perfectly clear if she reads them through carefully. Hermione insists that she doesn't because there is nothing up there about using defensive spells. As the rest of the class frowns at the board, Professor Umbridge says that she can't imagine any situation arising in her classroom that would require them to use a defensive spell, asking if she's expecting to be attacked in her class. Ron blurts out about them not using magic, and Umbridge asks his name as she demands students to raise their hands when they wish to speak in her class. Ron tells her Weasley as he raises his hand, but she smiles and turns her back on him. Harry and Hermione both immediately raise their hands too, and Umbridge looks at Harry but chooses to call on Hermione again. Hermione says that surely the whole point of defense against the dark arts is to practice defensive spells, but Umbridge just tells her that she isn't a ministry-trained, educational expert and therefore not qualified to decide what the whole point of any class is. She starts to say that they will be learning about defensive spells in a secure, risk-free way, but Harry cuts her off to ask what the use of that is, since it won't be like that if they're attacked. Umbridge sings out for him to raise his hand, but then ignores him when he does. Now several other students have put their hands up too, and she calls on Dean Thomas, who makes Harry's point again, saying it won't be risk-free if they are attacked. 
Umbridge just wants to know if he really expects to be attacked during her class, but instead of letting him answer, she just continues talking, criticizing how things have been run, saying that they have been exposed to some very irresponsible wizards and extremely dangerous half-breeds. Without raising his hand again, Dean speaks up to insist that Professor Lupin was the best they ever had, but all Umbridge can focus on is the fact that he didn't raise his hand. She goes on to say that they've been frightened into believing that they're likely to meet dark wizards every other day. Hermione insists that they haven't been, but is again just yelled at for not raising her hand. She brings up how her predecessor both showed them illegal curses and performed them on them, and has to again lecture Dean for not raising his hand when he retorts. She then calls on Parvati Potzel, who asks about the practical bit in their Defense Against the Dark Arts OWL, and Umbridge insists that as long as they study the theories hard enough, they will be fine to perform them under the carefully controlled examination conditions. Parvati is appalled that they won't be practicing them first, and Umbridge again begins to repeat the bit about studying the theory hard enough. Harry raises his hand and cuts her off again to ask what good theory is in the real world. Umbridge informs him that they're in school, not the real world, and he asks if they aren't supposed to be prepared for what's waiting out there. She insists that nothing is waiting out there and wonders who he supposes wants to attack children. Harry sarcastically pretends to think about it before saying, maybe Lord Voldemort? Several people in the class gasp or scream, but Umbridge simply takes 10 points away from Gryffindor and tells the now silent class that they have been told a certain dark wizard has returned from the dead and that it is a lie. Harry argues that it isn't a lie, he saw him, he fought him, and ends up getting himself a detention for the next evening. Umbridge again repeats that it is a lie, and the Ministry guarantees that they aren't in any danger from any dark wizard. She offers for them to come talk to her at any time if they're concerned, saying that she's their friend and there to help, but then directs them back to reading Chapter 1 and sits back down behind her desk. Harry stands, ignores Hermione's warning, and asks Umbridge if, according to her, Cedric died of his own accord. Everyone breathes in at once and looks between Harry and Umbridge, as she insists that Cedric Diggory's death was a tragic accident. Harry insists that it was murder. Voldemort killed him, and she knows it. Umbridge's face goes blank, and Harry thinks she's going to yell, but instead she puts on a soft, sweetly girlish voice and requests he approaches her desk. Harry kicks his chair aside and strides up to the teacher's desk, so angry he doesn't even care what happens next. Umbridge pulls out a roll of pink parchment and dips her quill in ink before scribbling something out. She then rolls it up and seals it, handing it to Harry and instructing him to take it to Professor McGonagall. Harry takes it without a word and leaves, slamming the door behind him. He hurries along the corridor and runs right into Peeves, who begins taunting him, calling him Potty Wee Potter, Crackpot, his fine potty friend, and wondering what's up with him this time. Harry shouts at Peeves to leave him alone and takes off running down the nearest flight of stairs. Peeves decides to slide down the banister after him, singing a song at him, again prompting Harry to yell, Shut up! A door to his left opens and Professor McGonagall emerges, wondering what Potter is shouting about and why he isn't in class, as Peeves cackles and zooms out of sight. 
Harry explains that he's been sent to see her and holds out the note from Professor Umbridge. McGonagall frowns as she opens the note to read it. She invites him into her office and asks if it is true that he shouted at Professor Umbridge, called her a liar, and insisted that he who must not be named is back. Harry admits that it's all true and is surprised when McGonagall offers him a biscuit and asks him to sit down. He sinks into the chair and helps himself to a ginger newt as McGonagall warns him to be careful because misbehavior in Dolores Umbridge's class could cost him more than house points and detentions. When he starts to question this, she tells him to use his common sense, considering where she comes from and who she's reporting to. The bell rings at this point and McGonagall informs Harry that he's been given detention every evening this week starting tomorrow. Harry is horrified and asks if there's anything she can do, but she flatly tells him that she can't, as Professor Umbridge is his teacher and has every right to give him detention. She again reminds him to tread carefully around Umbridge, and Harry protests because he was telling the truth. She tells him that it isn't about truth or lies, it's about keeping his head down and controlling his temper. She irritably offers him another biscuit, and he initially turns it down before she insists. He takes another one and grudgingly says thanks. McGonagall asks him if he listened to Dolores Umbridge's speech at the start of term feast, and Harry first tries to quote what she said before giving up and just saying that it meant the Ministry is trying to interfere at Hogwarts. She looks at him and sniffs before walking around and opening the door for him, saying that she's glad he listens to Hermione Granger at any rate, and directs him out of her office. The movie section starts out with a camera dolly down the black-tiled corridor like the one that Harry walked through to get to his hearing. It then cuts to Harry sleeping fitfully in his bed and back to the corridor. The camera angle is low to the ground and moves through the space like a snake, which is emphasized with snake-like sounds and voiceover. A very quick montage of clips shows a pale hand reaching out as a voice whispers Harry's name. Another shot of Harry tossing and turning more of the hall, a door at the end of it, and a crystal orb before Voldemort's face causes Harry to wake up with a start. As he sits up, panting from his dream, the camera pans over to Ron, who is sitting up on the edge of his bed and watching Harry. The scene then cuts to Parvati Pottle as she uses her wand to send a paper bird flying around the classroom. The camera follows the bird around the room as a female student blows at it and Seamus smacks it with his hand. It flies up out of his reach and loops around the chandelier and back down towards the students. Crab shoots at it with a slingshot, and the class reacts and watches as it continues to fly towards the front of the room, where it suddenly catches fire and falls back to Parvati and Pudma's desk. Professor Umbridge is standing at the back of the class with her wand extended. She bids the children good morning and then begins to walk up the aisle to the front, pointing her wand at the chalkboard. As she says ordinary, wizarding, level, examinations, the words appear on the board. She says O-W-L's, more commonly known as owls, and informs the students that if they study hard, they will be rewarded, but if they fail to do so, the consequences may be severe. She points her wand over her shoulder and directs stacks of books to levitate down the aisles and distribute themselves to each student as she references how uneven their previous instruction on the subject had been. She states that they will be pleased to know that from now on they will be following a carefully structured, ministry-approved course of defensive magic. 
She then calls on Hermione, who has flipped through her book and raised her hand in the air to point out that there isn't anything in the book about using defensive spells. Umbridge laughs at the idea of them needing to use spells in her classroom, prompting Ron to question the fact that they aren't going to use magic. Umbridge insists that they will be learning about spells in a secure, risk-free way, which makes Harry question what use that is, since if they're going to be attacked, it won't be risk-free. In response, Umbridge turns her back and sharply insists that students will raise their hands before they speak in her class. When she turns back around, she also returns to her sickly sweet voice as she tells the class that it is the view of the Ministry that a theoretical knowledge will be sufficient to get them through their examinations, which is what school is all about. Harry again speaks up to ask how theory is supposed to prepare them for what is out there, only to have the new teacher insist that there is nothing out there. When she asks Harry who he imagines would want to attack children, Harry sarcastically says, Oh, I don't know. Maybe Lord Voldemort. As the whole class begins to whisper, Umbridge looks around in slight concern, before plainly informing the class that they have been told that a certain dark wizard is again at large. She walks down the aisle toward Harry and continues on to insist that this is a lie, and Harry cuts her off to declare that it isn't a lie. He saw him and fought him. In response, Umbridge assigns Harry a detention, and she angrily walks back to the front of the class. But Harry doesn't care and asks Umbridge if she thinks that Cedric Diggory died of his own accord. She whips back around and says that Cedric Diggory's death was a tragic accident. But Harry still isn't having it and yells over her that it was murder and she must know that Voldemort killed him. This time it is Umbridge who cuts Harry off, screaming, ENOUGH! before switching back to her sickly sweet voice and repeating, ENOUGH. She tells Harry to see her later, in her office, and punctuates the demand with another little giggle. <laughs> so this half does actually correspond. Mm-hmm. Fairly well, even. Yeah. For a period of time, yes. Yeah, it's definitely streamlined. Minor changes. Like you do, yeah. But I think overall it gets the same point across. Yeah, it paints a very strong picture. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Yes. yes. In the book, we pick it back up right after the bell rings at the end of Divination. And Ron is just complaining about how much homework they've already gotten on the first day, which I have to agree is kind of a dick move. It is, definitely. But I mean, they're just going to make shit up anyway. So True story. <laughs> but he is very much of the mindset that that Umbridge woman better not give them homework also. To the point that I think in his head, he might even be calling her Pepto Bitch Mall, even though he doesn't know yet. I mean, I think they all know. They definitely sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be subconscious, but they know. Yeah. <laughs> It's an instinct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they enter the defense against the dark arts classroom and she is already sitting at her desk. She's still wearing that same fluffy pink cardigan and she has a black velvet bow just perched on the top of her head, which makes Harry think of a fly, like a really <laughs> big fly, stupidly perched on top of a really big frog. Sure. Or toad, as they say. Or toad, yes. The class is actually sitting completely quietly because mm -hmm. they don't yet know what to expect with this woman yeah they don't know what kind of teacher she is and they don't want to press their luck yeah i mean this is basically where the movie starts up except also 
Not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The movie section starts out in a dark, shiny corridor, very reminiscent of the ones in the ministry where Harry had his hearing. You could even say it is the same one. It, it, yeah, definitely. For the sake of filming the movie, it probably was. <laughs> for continuity's sake, for convenience's sake, yeah, all of that. <laughs> we travel down this corridor for a bit before it cuts to Harry in his bed, and this is the point where we realize that he's just having another fever dream. Which at least the movie is including the fact that he is having these reoccurring dreams. Yeah. Even if we aren't getting to see them the same way that the book describes them. Yeah. And they're not exactly like completely reoccurring. Like they're all very different. Yeah. But they do kind of get the same type of idea across. I A suppose. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of there. They tried. Mm-hmm. There's a whisper of a ding. Ding. <laughs> we switch between shots of Harry fitfully sleeping and the creepy-ass corridor, a blue door at the end of said creepy-ass corridor, Voldy using jazz hands, but like evil jazz hands, so you, you know. Aren't it, all jazz hands evil? You shut your mouth. <laughs> jazz hands are brilliant. Jazz hands. Spirit fingers. These are not spirit fingers. These our spirit fingers. Anyway. Well, Voldy has his body back, so he can't do spirit fingers anymore. I mean, Voldy has his body back. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on. And just for fun, there's also some mystery balls. Right? Because who doesn't love a good mystery ball? <laughs> Which I gotta say, obviously we already know what these are. Mm -hmm. Nothing about them has been mentioned yet in the book. Yeah. But I don't mind this brief glimpse being front-loaded so much. Yeah. It's a very subtle foreshadowing. Yeah. And it works. And we do know from the books that Harry has been dreaming about that corridor and the locked door at the end of it. So this is the first time one of the dreams has directly corresponded with the dreams Harry's been having reoccurringly in the book. Mm -hmm. It is just not the same time. It doesn't line up with when it was being told to us in the book. Does it ever? <laughs> at least it's there. Exactly. At least they at least they kind of included it, you know? But all of these things in the dream are being emphasized by these hissing and slithering noises before Harry just bolts upright, breathing heavily, visibly shaken, as one would be when you see Voldemort giving jazz hands. Spirit fingers. <laughs> Super creepy. <laughs> so Harry looks to the next bed and he sees Ron sitting up in his bed as well, just kind of watching Harry and looking solemn and pretty fucking freaked out. Which is sort of strange to me because why is Ron sitting up like that in bed? Like I could see him like waking up and looking over, but he's sitting on the edge of the bed just watching Harry. My assumption would be that this was actually a much longer dream and it was actually kind of more violent maybe he was making noise harry was being you know freaking out in his dream who knows it could have woken ron up that's that's what i but think still, they were so trying then you go and you shake your friend's shoulder and say harry you're dreaming wake up you don't sit there and creepily stare at him however every time ron has said boo in this fucking movie and book so far harry's ripped his head off so does he really want to do that or does he it just want to definitely wanna... more so in the movie yeah does he just kind of want to wait hang back and be like 
I'm just going to wait and to make sure he like wakes okay. up and he's okay. Fair enough. I'll give you that. We then get to where it sort of lines up with the book. When it cuts to some lighthearted frivolity as Parvati Pottle practices her origami skills and sends a little paper bird flying around the classroom. Aww. Yeah. One girl blows at it and sends it higher in the air while Seamus is goaded into whapping it away. And Dennis the fucking menace, I mean, you know, crab, he shoots it with a slingshot. Why he has a slingshot? Seriously, it's a legit fucking slingshot. What? It's not even a magical slingshot. No. I imagine like holding your wand up and just magically pulling back and being able to shoot something. But like that would make more sense to me. But it was a legit slingshot. It was a slingshot and it made zero sense. But whatever. The little paper birdie continues making its way around the classroom before it bursts into fucking flame and falls delicately on Parvati and Padma's desk. Poor bird. Poor birdie. Right in front of everybody, too. That's just rude. Looking behind everyone, we can see Pepto Bitchmall standing at the back of the classroom with her wand out, making it extremely obvious that she is the pyro who just spontaneously combusted the fuck out of that paper bird. And Seamus is sitting there just wanting to know that spell. Right? <laughs> Must learn spell. Must set fires. Mwah. But then, as is her way, she cheerily greets the students and makes her way to the front of the room, her wand now pointed at the chalkboard. Let's hope she doesn't set it aflame. Right. But who knows? <laughs> Aside from the lack of magic origami, the main difference here is that in the book, Umbridge is already in the room mm -hmm. and doesn't make a grand entrance, but we know that the movies love to do the grand teacher entrance. Oh, of course. Because you got Snape flouncing and billowing in, and mm -hmm. now you got Hepto Bitchmall setting paper birds on fire. Right. It's just... Everyone's got their thing, I guess. Unnecessary. Because no, I do not want unattended children in my classroom. <laughs> They're not allowed in there unless I am in there. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I call bullshit. No teacher is going to do that. Especially not on the first day. Yeah. They get into shit. They're 15. Of course they do. Any age. Mm, true. But once the whole class comes in and sits down, Umbridge greets them with a good afternoon, children. And she gets a few and just says, tut tut, that won't do. Whenever I greet you, you will respond with good afternoon, Professor Umbridge. Will we, though? Well, yeah, yeah, we will. We will, because we're kind of scared insists. of you. Yeah. yeah. So she tries again. She says, good afternoon. And this time, everybody choruses back. Good afternoon, Professor Umbridge. <laughs> and she sweetly says, that wasn't too difficult, was it? Ugh. God, this woman. And I think that because we already know her and we already know what a Pepto bitch mall she is, mm. we are applying a lot more dislike to everything she says in this scene. Because honestly, from a teacher's perspective, most of what she's doing right here is pretty legit. Yeah. Like she starts off on the right foot trying to establish the expectations for her classroom. True. I think that she belittles these 15-year-olds a little bit too much. Like, maybe with first years, this wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. I definitely, absolutely am this structured on the first day with my younger, younger students. Yeah. 
I try to be more laid back with the older ones because you get off on the wrong foot with them, which is exactly what she's about to do. Mm -hmm. And it's chaos. It sets a bad tone for the whole year. But you do need to establish strictly what your expectations are, what the routine will be, and you can't deviate away from it or else you'll never get it set. Yeah. So she's not in the wrong here. And the fact that we're already rolling our eyes at her tells me that it's more just because we know what's coming. (laughs) I mean, I can remember reading this for the first time and still rolling my eyes at her. But, I mean, I was... You were probably a nightmare student. I was was very quiet. (laughs) I was very quiet. I never got a detention my entire time in school. I never got a detention. I never skipped a class without a teacher's note. I never stepped out of line. I was a very good student. Thank what you happens? very much. I met you and my world just disapparated. There we go. <laughs> to be fair, when you hang out with me, I am off duty. True. But anyway, back to the story. Yes. Pepto Bitch Mall tells them to put their wands away and get their quills out, which they at least know enough not to outwardly grown mm-hmm. but nobody is happy about this because never has wands away been followed by a lesson that they've found interesting no not at all especially quills out we have to fucking take notes right this supposed to be the fun class apparently not this year not so much but everybody gets their quills and ink and parchment out and they're getting all set up to take notes and professor umbridge waves her unusually short wand I assume it's just because she's not that tall either. It goes along with the whole toad-like thing. But they do oh, yeah. make a point to say it is unusually short. Mm-hmm. Stubby. I remember when we were at Universal and we were in the wands and picking out wands and stuff. And I asked my husband, I'm like, do you want to get a wand? That'd be fun. Do you want to get a wand? And he goes, who has the shortest wand? Because that's the one I want. Because <laughs> my husband is six and a half feet tall. Yeah, he's like 12 feet tall. He's so. gigantic. So he legitimately wanted the shortest wand so it would look even smaller in his hand. Which would be hilarious. Yeah, it would be. So we had asked for Umbridge's wand, but they didn't actually have one. So I literally just went and asked every worker. I'm like, what's the shortest wand you have? <laughs> and we got one of the generic wands. And it is quite a short wand. And he loves it, so. <laughs> Good to know he loves the short wands. He does. He doesn't want to feel intimidated, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Moving on. So she waves her unusually short wand to avoid feeling intimidated. Mm-hmm. And the words, Defense Against the Dark Arts, A Return to Basic Principles, appears on the board. Mm-hmm. And she makes this whole comment about how their teaching in this subject has been very fragmented just different Mm -hmm. teachers different curriculums people leaving partway through dying disappearing being crazy just it's been a mess to be fair she's not wrong no not at all and honestly i can completely understand with all of the issues they've been having why the ministry would want to step in and try and help this issue Mm -hmm. because they are absolutely falling behind and it is a very real issue yes However, their decision to do so was not actually based on that. No. And that is where I take issue with it. Their reasoning was more of an excuse. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. But she informs them that they will be pleased to know because she knows what's going to please them, I'm sure. Obviously. That this is being corrected with a carefully structured 
theory-centered, ministry-approved course of defensive magic. And then she asks them to copy down the following. Taps her wand again, and that first message, Defense Against the Dark Arts, disappears and is replaced with three course aims. Number one, understanding the principles of underlying defensive magic. Number two, learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can legally be used. And number three, placing the use of defensive magic in a context for practical use. Number four, practicing defensive spells. Oh, wait, no, that's not no, a that's not a thing. <laughs> that is so not a thing this year. <laughs> it's sort of similar in the movie where she begins to magically write on the board while simultaneously reading out loud, ordinary wizarding level examinations. And she says they are more commonly known as owls. O-W-L's. We can spell, yes. Well done. Thanks for that, Captain Obvious. She then continues on the Obvious tour and lets the fifth-year students in on a not very well-kept secret. If you study... You'll do well. If you don't, you're fucked. Thanks for the advice, Chief. Yeah, way to break that down for us. Ron and Harry are both sitting there thinking Hermione's been telling us this for five fucking years now. Right? She may as well just be up there teaching. The gist is definitely the same here, but the information shared by Pepto Bitch Mall is not. Because mm-hmm. she goes on her tirade about the issues with the whole... Defense Against the Dark Arts Department, whereas in the movie, she's obviously focusing on the examinations in specific. Yeah. But anyway, after everyone copies the three course aims down, she then asks them if they purchase the book Defensive Magical Theory by Wilbert Slinkhard. And when they response again, (laughs) she says, no, no, no. When I ask you a question, you'll respond with yes, Professor Umbridge, or no, Professor Umbridge, because clearly I'm never going to ask you a question that requires any kind of opinion. Mm-hmm. She repeats the question again, and the whole class says, yes, Professor Umbridge. <laughs> and she tells them to turn to page five and read chapter one, Basics for Beginners, adding that there will be no need to talk. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Another slight difference from the book to the movie is that with not going to Diagon Alley this year and whatnot, she then uses her wand to distribute the books to the students, which look like they were written by someone who has absolutely no idea what a 15-year-old is. I mean, probably not. I'm sure that's super common. I know that the standardized tests that we have to give to students are written by companies and not educators. Right. And that's exactly what this book looks like. It's just, it's really sad. Mm -hmm. As the books are reaching their intended recipients, she points out that somehow they haven't had very consistent training before now. You know, what with, like we were talking about, their teachers dying or losing their memory or being a giant murder puppy or actually being someone else entirely every year. A tradition that we all hope continues. Let's just be honest here. Yeah, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But at least here, she does kind of touch base with what the book was mentioning. Yeah, exactly. The gist of it. On the upside, good old Cunty McGee is here to save the day and really teach them some shit. Well, 
that is to say some ministry approved age appropriate shit that will do the absolute bare minimum to just help them pass their tests. I would argue that it is not actually age appropriate either. She thinks it is. Considering what the ministry thinks is age appropriate. Yes. That's that's where I was going with that. But yes. (laughs) So the book focuses a bit more on them actually reading the first chapter, which is apparently desperately dull. Color me shocked. I know. And after Harry just reads the same line like 17 times, tell me you haven't been there. (laughs) I'm there all the time. Right? (laughs) I mean, I have ADHD, so that's just how I read. But with this, I'm pretty sure I get to like 23 times before anything would sink in. Right. (laughs) And Harry eventually just sort of gives up reading and kind of starts surreptitiously looking around. And it's completely shocked to see that Hermione hasn't even opened her book. Mm -hmm. And is just sitting there staring at Professor Umbridge with her hand high in the air. And he tries to catch her eye, but she just shakes her head at him and just keeps staring at Professor Umbridge, who is refusing to look at Hermione. Yeah. Hermione's just like, not now, Harry. I'm doing a thing. Right. And this is where I start to take issue with Umbridge. I don't think that she's necessarily done anything wrong, per se. Mm -hmm. Boring as fuck first day. Irritating, sure. Yeah, but... She wasn't really on the side of wrong until she blatantly started ignoring a child who had a question. Yeah, definitely. And then after several more minutes, more people are beginning to notice that Hermione is in this silent battle to get the teacher's attention. (laughs) Resolute. Yes. Definitely. And it gets to the point where literally half of the class is just watching Hermione instead of reading the book. And Pepto Bitchmall finally decides that she really can't ignore her anymore mm-hmm. and makes it a point to actually call on her. Sure. Wanting to know if she has a question about the chapter. Which you could say that. No, because it, Hermione specifies that it's not about the chapter. And initially, Pepto Bitchmall tries to tell her that, well, we're doing the chapter right now. If you have other questions, we can cover those at the end of class. Mm -hmm. And Hermione doesn't give a fuck and just says, it's about your course names? Mm. I have a question about your course names. And Umbridge just raises her eyebrows. The audacity of this child, I'm sure, is what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. This bitch is going to test me, isn't she? Yep. And (laughs) she asks what her name is. And Hermione says Hermione Granger, because that's her name. Makes sense. And Umbridge just very sweetly says, well, Miss Granger, I think that the course names are perfectly clear if you read them through carefully, which I'm sorry. This is strike number two. Yeah. (laughs) Because first of all, if a kid reads something and doesn't comprehend it, you need to check your own writing. Yeah. And you can help them with reading comprehension as well. You don't just say read it again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to break shit down. Yeah. Not for Hermione necessarily, but she doesn't know that yet. Right. So anyway, she's like, I think they're perfectly clear. And Hermione's like, well, I don't. (laughs) There's nothing up there about using defensive spells. You forgot to write number four up there. I was going to say, that was point four, wasn't it? (laughs) This is basically covered in the movie as well. But it's set up very differently. Yeah. Because Hermione then asks, like, what the actual fuck is going on? Since this book doesn't even mention how to do magic. Like, she flipped through it. And she's like, where is the whole part about using magic? I mean, for as quick as that happened, the most I can assume is none of the chapters were titled Using Defensive Magic. Because, like, at least in the three course names, 
one, two, three. This is what we're doing in this class. There's nothing up there about using defensive magic. Here's an entire fucking book. There's nothing in here about using defensive magic. Bitch, did you read the book? <laughs> the only thing I can think is maybe like they're used to seeing diagrams of how wands should be aimed. Maybe. And she probably just flipped through. Oh, didn't you know see that anything. book did not have pictures. Oh, yeah. No. Of course not. Bitch Maul just laughs and wonders aloud as to why on earth they would need to use magic in her classroom, prompting everyone to silently shout, Because this is a magic school, you twat waffle! It would have been beautiful if somebody actually shouted that. Right? <laughs> I imagine that's what Hermione was doing in her head. Or maybe her eyebrows were doing it for her. I don't oh, know. Oh, for sure. If her eyebrows could talk, I bet you anything they have a potty mouth. Oh, definitely. But... Pepto Bitch Mall ignores this and goes on to say that they'll be learning what basically amounts to defensive theory in a secure and risk-free way. And this is when Harry gets uppity and points out that secure and risk-free theory has fuck all to do with actually defending yourself, since that's not a goddamn thing. Right. No. And this definitely gets the same basic information across as mm -hmm. the book. But it really streamlines the buildup in the book chapter. Yeah, it cuts through a lot of the yeah. bullshit. Because when Hermione points out that there's nothing up there about using defensive magic, the entire class looks back up at the board and just frowns. She's like, hey, she's right. There's not. <laughs> and Professor Umbridge says the whole thing about, I can't imagine any situation arising in my classroom that would require you to use defensive spells. Mm -hmm. Are you expecting to be attacked in my class? By you, bitch, yeah. Funny you should mention that. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> You're forgetting the murder puppy. <laughs> Come on. And the teacher that actually put them under <laughs> the Imperius curse. Right? It's not unheard of in this place. Just saying. Which is also part of her issue with the previous instructions. Yes. So again, not completely is the ministry in the wrong. They are just using it as an excuse to be there in a way that is in the wrong. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Let's go with that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but this sets Ron off, who's wondering, we're not going to use defensive magic? Like, mm -hmm. This is defense against the dark arts. This is a magic school. We're not going to use magic. And Umbridge wants to know what his name is. She says, students will raise their hands when they wish to speak in my class, Mr. Mm -hmm. Ron says Weasley as he raises his hand and she just turns her back on him. Nice. Which strike three, in my opinion. Yep. I mean, I will tell a kid we're not doing questions right now. Save it for later. Because mm -hmm. if you let kids get going, they can derail an entire lesson. Oh, for sure. So you have to have that structure. But to just flat out tell the kid to raise their hand and then turn your back on them, that is a bitch move. That is a bitch small move. Yeah, definitely. But then Harry and Hermione both immediately put their hands in the air. And Umbridge looks at Harry, but is obviously never going to call on him. Mm -mm. So just calls on Hermione again, who says, surely the whole point of Defense Against the Dark Arts is to practice defensive spells. And Pepto Bitchmall asks her if she's a ministry trained educational expert. Obviously, knowing the answer is going to be no. Yeah, it's a rhetorical question. Yeah. Hermione says, no, I'm a fifth year student. <laughs> But I've definitely taken more Defense Against the Dark Arts now than you have lately, so... 
Not to mention I've faced the dark arts more than you have right? at this point, bitch. Trust me. But Bitch Mall tells her that she's not qualified to decide what the whole point of any class is and starts to make a comment about how they're going to be learning defensive spells in a secure, risk-free way. So, hey, Ding. Sure. Yeah. We just missed a lot more things in there. <laughs> but this is when Harry cuts her off to say, what's the use of that? It's not like it's going to be secure and risk-free if we're ever attacked. Ding again. Ding again. Yeah. So, you know, just trims some fat out. Yeah. <laughs> but bit. similar picture painted. Mm-hmm. In that sickly sweet voice that she does, just sings out for him to raise his hand, but then again turns her back on him when he does. I mean, if you're gonna make them raise their hand, like, oh, yeah, you yeah, can't just it's ignore so rude. Them. That's some bullshit. On the plus side, several other students are now raising their hand to get in on the fun. <laughs> New game, guys. Ooh, let's raise our hand and start some shit. Mm -hmm. So she calls on Dean Thomas, who just restates what Harry said, yeah. having raised his hand, saying it won't be risk-free if we're attacked. Yeah. So Umbridge repeats that question about when he expects to be attacked during her class, but then doesn't let him answer because she is the queen of rhetoric. Obviously. And just continues talking, saying she doesn't want to criticize how things have been run, but then goes on and criticizes how things have been run. Because that's what you do. Right. Yeah. And talks about how they were exposed to some very irresponsible wizards and extremely dangerous half-breeds, which... Number one, that's not even accurate. He's not a half-breed. He right? is a full wizard that got infected. That's not his fucking fault. You're a bitch. And that doesn't change his blood status. No. In any way, shape, or no. form. And, side note, that doesn't even have anything to do with what kind of teacher he was. Right? Ew. Even if he was a quote-unquote half-breed. Pepto-bitch, Molly. Ugh. That's like a big old red flag right there. Oh, yeah. Severe issues. Mm-hmm. Dean doesn't even bother raising his hand this time, just insists that Professor Lupin was the best teacher they ever had. And then, of course, she yells at him for not raising his hand because that's course. all she fucking cares about. She just wants to nitpick. Or she just wants control. She yeah. wants order. I will have, have order. order. <laughs> but she goes on to say that they've been frightened into believing they are likely to meet dark wizards every other day. I mean, it's happened to Harry pretty much every other day so yeah and i wouldn't even say that they're frightened about it i think it's perfectly reasonable for them to expect to learn how to defend themselves in a defense against the dark arts class right what a crazy irrational idea right? Ellen. and hermione speaks up to insist that they haven't been frightened and is just yelled at for not raising her hands mm -hmm. and then bitch mall mentions how her predecessor both showed them illegal curses and performed them on them like we said the imperious yeah. curse and she again has to lecture dean who he was like well he turned out to be a maniac but we still learned a lot and she's again just like <laughs> raise your fucking hands Except she didn't say it like that because she's still pretending to be super sweet. Mm -hmm. Hand up, hand, hand up, turn away. Me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. She then calls on Parvati Patel, who in the movie probably hates her for burning up her birdie. Well, for sure. But in the book, we don't have that grudge happening. So she's just trying to be very logical about this. And I think she makes an excellent point. She says, isn't there a practical bit in our defense against the dark hearts OWL? Like, don't we actually have to show the examiners that we can perform these defensive spells that we're supposed to be learning. Mm -hmm. And Bitchmall insists 
that if they study the theories hard enough, they'll be fine to perform them under carefully controlled examination conditions. Yeah, because, you know, if you read the driver's manual... You can absolutely operate a car. You can absolutely just go take your road test. The For next sure, yeah, day. definitely. You just gotta study hard enough. As long as you know what the left pedal does and the right pedal does, you're you fine. got this. Yeah. No, not at all. Mm-mm. And Parvati is rightly appalled by the idea that they're not even going to get to practice them before they have to perform them mm-hmm. in an examination, in a super fucking important examination that right? determines their future. Seriously. Not to mention that's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. To have to throw them into an examination like that where they've never done the spell before. So many things can go wrong. Oh my God. Somebody's going to blow something up. Right? Probably and it's probably going to be Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke faster than I could. Yep. <laughs> Umbridge begins to repeat her whole thing about study the theory hard enough, you'll be fine. And Harry raises his hand as he speaks. So he technically didn't break the rules. He did not wait to be called on. True. But he does raise his hand. She didn't specify raise your hand and wait until I call on you. She just said must raise their hand before speaking. Valid point. So he raises his hand and says, what good is theory in the real world? Mm-hmm. And she reminds him that they're in school, not the real world. The whole point of school is to prepare you for the real world, Pepto Bitchmall. Yeah. Isn't school supposed to prepare them for what's waiting for them out there? And she insists that nothing is waiting for them out there and wonders who he supposes wants to attack children like themselves. Hmm. I wonder. And that's exactly what Harry does. He's like, hmm, let me think. Maybe Lord Voldemort? (laughs) Could it be Satan? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, the movie definitely streamlines that down. But it does get the basic point across once again, so there's at least that. Pepto Bitch Mall then gets excessively passive-aggressive with Harry and turns her back on him, stating loudly that bitches better be asking for permission to talk in her class. So that's kind of a ding. Exactly, except she didn't make that point with Ron or Hermione. No, she just sort of let them talk and only did that to Harry. Yeah. Whereas she was doing it to everyone in the book. Yeah, in the movie it definitely seemed pointed at Harry. Right, I agree. Yeah. Ron and Harry at this point share a look that just clearly says, this bitch. This is when they start to pick up on our nickname. Right? So yeah, they share this look, this bitch, before Umbridge turns back around and resumes her previous simpering, saying that the Ministry thinks all you need is a basic passing knowledge that you can use to get through your testing, since school is not supposed to teach you how to survive in the real world at all. Tell me, Ellen, I bet that hits you right in the feels, doesn't it? Actually, there's a lot about this that hits me in multiple feels. I'm sure there is. Because school should be about teaching you to survive in the real world. Agreed. But we end up teaching to the test so fucking much Mm -hmm. that we don't get to prepare kids for the real world as well as we should. No, you get to teach kids how to take a test. And even then they suck at it. Yeah. And then you get blamed. Because the tests are terrible. I'm telling you, they're written by my people who have never been in a classroom before. Mm-hmm. They are not developmentally appropriate. They are not well written. Like, I've literally looked at some of these tests before because every now and then I have to monitor them. And I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck I just read. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know what the answer to that question is supposed to be. And I test really well. Yeah. And you're a goddamn adult. Right. <laughs> and I read it and I'm just like, if I as an adult, a 
well like i'm a high functioning mm-hmm. like i feel like i'm pretty successful all said and done if i look at a test that a fifth grader is taking and i can't figure out the answer to a question yeah there's something wrong there's something wrong with that because that tells me that the skills that they are having to learn in order to answer the questions on that test are not something that you need in the real fucking world oh ellen you're so silly so yes this hits me in the feels and we need to move on right now before i cry calm down you're being silly, just like Harry, who tries to bring logic to a government-regulated fight. <laughs> asking how the fuck that's going to help them with what's out there. Umbridge retorts that there is nothing out there, and literally no one wants to bring harm to teenagers. <laughs> yeah, Harry, a teenager who has literally been brought harm by someone every goddamn year so far, counters by quipping that, Voldy's pretty fond of harm. Like, he's pretty much all about that shit. And this is a ding, I would say. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. All the sass and whatnot. Yeah. For sure. Even the sarcasm about it. Huh? Maybe Lord Voldemort. Right? Yeah. But the class just starts whispering as if Harry just told her to fuck off back to her hometown of Cuntlandia, causing Umbridge to look around somewhat nervously before pulling some ministry-approved press release jargon out of her ass about Harry being a goddamn liar and Voldy being a figment of his drug-addled brain. It's all that gillyweed. It is. Don't do drugs, kids. It'll bring Voldy back. In your head, at least. (laughs) Harry, rightfully, calls bullshit and reminds the masses that he saw that motherfucker and fought him. Yeah. Like, first-person account, guys. Been there, done that, saw that. Mm -hmm. I'm right, she's wrong. Listen to me, not her. Right? At this, Bitch Mall gets really testy and gives Harry a detention for being aggressively cheeky. Which is yet another nickname for Harry, I think. Aggressively cheeky? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Episode title. (laughs) And Harry just doubles down on all of this and asks if it's legit her position that Cedric just straight dropped dead all on his own. Which, this part is pretty similar to the book. Ooh, ding. Since several people in the class gasp or scream like, Harry oh. just told her to fuck off back to her hometown of Cuntlandia. hmm But Umbridge just takes 10 points away. Yeah. So that got streamlined out. She starts by taking 10 points from Gryffindor and tells the now silent class that they've been told a certain dark wizard has returned from the dead and that is a lie. And Harry says, well, he wasn't dead, but yeah, he's back. It's not a lie. Mm -hmm. I I saw him. I fought him. Ding. Right? Yeah. And then he gets himself the detention. So like I said, very similar, slight streamlining. Mm -hmm. She sets it for the next evening and again repeats that it's a lie. The ministry guarantees that they aren't in any danger from any dark wizard. That's a strong guarantee. That is a very strong guarantee. Because even if it's not Voldemort, you can never guarantee that there's not another dark wizard. This is already the second one. Right. That they've had in so many years, you know? I mean, especially with everything that happened at the Quidditch World Cup and all of that shit that went down. You can't tell me there's not something going down. But But she says that if you're concerned about this, you can come talk to me at any time because I'm your friend and I'm here to help. And if you hear of anybody spreading these lies, you have to let me know. Do we, though? She thinks so. Mm -hmm. And then she directs them back to reading chapter one and sits back down behind her desk. 
Oh, Cunty McGee. Right? The fun part here is Harry's not finished. Mm -hmm. He stands, completely ignores Hermione, telling him, Harry, no! And just says, Harry, yes! (laughs) And just asks Umbridge if, according to her, Cedric Diggory died of his own accord. So again, we're kind of on the dinging here. Yeah. He doubles down, aggressively cheeky. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gasps in one breath and looks between Harry to Umbridge to Harry to Umbridge. And she insists that Cedric Diggory's death was a tragic accident. Which, at least that last part is exactly what she says in the movie, too. So, ding. Yeah. I guess. She tries to tap dance around the topic, calling Diggory's death a tragic accident. But Harry full out cuts her off, saying that he was fucking murdered, and you're blind as shit if you don't know that Voldy offed him just as simply as if he was breathing air. Which he was, because he came the fuck back. Yeah. And you're right. Exactly the same as the book. Mm-hmm. Harry insists that it was murder. Voldemort killed him. And she knows it. Yeah. This is really probably the strongest corresponding section that we have had so far. Yeah. And it also seems the moment where Harry has finally had enough of holding himself back. Oh, yeah. This is when Harry snaps. Yeah. Understandably, this woman is infuriating. Definitely. And this woman, this infuriating woman, her face just goes completely blank. And for a moment, Harry thinks she's actually going to shout at him. Mm -hmm. And then she just sort of like gets her shit together and very calmly, softly, in that sweetly disgusting girlish voice, asks him to approach her desk. Nothing good can happen here, right? Oh, no. (laughs) Aside from all the streamlining the movie did in this section, this is actually the biggest difference right here. In the movie, Pepto Bitchmall just finally loses her shit, and she just shrieks, Enough! Before taking a second, turning the sweet voice back on, saying enough once again, Telling Harry to come to her office later so she can whoop his ass properly, making it clear that it's not a request, with one of her vomit-inducing giggles. (laughs) And this is where we'll be ending the movie section. Kind of, thank God. I don't know how much more of this I could take. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so that big difference there is just the fact that she actually screams enough. She loses her temper. Yeah, she lets it go. And she did not do that in the book. She remained very frustratingly controlled and fake the entire time. Mm -hmm. But the book does continue on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I can see how they didn't feel that this was necessary. But at the same time, I would have loved to have all of this, really. Oh, sure. Of course. Because she had asked Harry to come up to her desk and he literally kicks his chair aside and just, I'm going to go with struts up there because that's what Snape likes to say he does. Right. (laughs) Strutting about the castle. And he's so angry. He does not even care what's about to happen. He just struts up there as Umbridge pulls out a roll of pink parchment because... It's Umbridge. Right. And she dips her quill in ink, which I like to imagine is also pink. Right. As the quill is, too. And just scribbles out a nice long note, rolls it up, uses her wand to seal it, Mm -hmm. and then hands it to Harry and tells him to take it to Professor McGonagall. Uh Uh-oh. Harry's in trouble now. Yep. Go see mom. Right. He takes it without saying a word because 
what are you at this do? point he's yeah. probably so angry he can't even find them just walks right out of the room won't even look at ron and hermione slams the door behind him which props to you harry that's gotta feel so good too don't you just love a good door slam oh yeah when you're pissed off oh like my that? god it can be great i broke oh. a door one time <laughs> But he hurries along the corridor, just trying to get away from there as fast as he can. Turns a corner and runs right into Peeves. 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 Not Ed Sheeran. Oh, Peeves. Hey. Aw, Peeves. I know. It's been a while since he was mentioned. Yeah. It's been a while since he was missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is why I really wish this was included. Mm-hmm. Because Peeves provides so much amazing comedy and frustration and just really adds a lot of interest to yeah. a story, I think. He's just a fun character. And his is like funny frustration. Yes. Whereas we've just come from Umbridge's class and she's just infuriating frustration. Well, Harry doesn't find it funny because Peeves starts taunting him. Calls him Potty Wee Potter. I love that nickname. Also refers to him as Crackpot. Calls him his fine potty friend and then <laughs> asks him what's up this time, wondering if he's hearing voices or if he hurt somebody or just, you know, just everything that he could possibly pin on Harry. This is how you know that Peeves was not a Malfoy because he can actually come up with decent nicknames true. and insults. It's true. He can. Yeah. But Harry is not finding it amusing and just shouts at him to leave him alone and takes off running down the nearest flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. and peeves is just like i'm gonna slide down the banister with you and just keeps on <laughs> he actually sings a full song at him yeah almost think he's barking the potty wee lad but some are more kindly and think he's just sad but peevesy knows better and says that he's mad <laughs> and harry just screams at him again to shut up fuck off peeves basically yeah and this shouting alerts McGonagall's attention. And she actually comes out of her office because now he's right by it. Yeah. And she wants to know why he's shouting. And then gives it the follow-up question of, why aren't you in class? <laughs> As Peeves just zooms away and starts cackling because he's Peeves. Right. That's what you do. So Harry explains that he's been sent to see her. And she's like, sent? Mm -hmm. And takes the note from him. She opens it up scans through it frowns a little bit at it and then invites him into her office and says is it true <laughs> and harry wants to know is what true you know damn well did you shout it professor umbridge harry says yeah <laughs> did you call her a liar yeah did you insist that he who must not be named is back yeah, I did all that. Mm -hmm. And then McGonagall says, have a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like a trained puppy. <laughs> oh, have it. a biscuit, Ellen. Yeah. I love how that worked out. By right. It's perfect. <laughs> and she asks him to sit down. And he sinks into the chair and helps himself to a ginger newt. And McGonagall warns him that he needs to be careful because misbehavior in Dolores Umbridge's class could cost him more than house points in a detention or two. Yeah. Or in this case, three or four. Right. <laughs> or more. <laughs> he starts to ask why. And she's like, for heaven's sakes, Potter, use your common sense. <laughs> 
think about where she came from and who she's reporting back to. Right. I just love that. Don't be such a dumbass, Ari. Right. And then the bell rings at this point, so she's got to wrap it up. And she just says, you've been given detention every evening this week, starting tomorrow. And Harry's like, what? Because <laughs> now his anger is starting to ebb away a little bit. And it's more of this dull feeling of, wait, every day? I thought it was just tomorrow. Every day? Forever, he's, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> and he's absolutely horrified and wants to know if there's anything McGonagall can do, but rightly so she just flatly tells him that she can't because professor umbridge is his teacher and has every right to give him a detention and even though objectively i don't think that harry was in the wrong considering everything that she's doing and the ministry is doing by all technicality he was also in the wrong he was also aggressively cheeky yeah and and let's be honest mcgonagall already knows that she needs to pick her battles yes this is not a battle to take on. No. It's not one that he can win because he's never going to convince her by shouting the truth at her. Exactly. Especially not at a time that interrupts her class. Yes. It's just not a fight you take on right now. Not this early in the year. No, not on day one. <laughs> yeah. But McGonagall again reminds Harry to be careful around Umbridge. And Harry starts to protest because he's... I was just telling her the truth. Like... I'm not lying. I'm right. Why is this a problem? And she says that it's not about truth or lies. You have to keep your head down and control your temper. Mm-hmm. She also offers him another biscuit and he's like, no, thanks. I don't want and your she says, pity biscuits. Right. She says, don't be silly. <laughs> so he takes another one. And he's just like, thanks. <laughs> and she asks him if he listened to Pepto Bitchmall's speech at the start of term feast and Harry actually starts trying to quote some of the things she was saying mm-hmm. and realizes that he can't remember it. So he just says, well, it just meant that the ministry is trying to interfere at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And McGonagall just kind of rolls her eyes at him and sniffs as she gets up and goes to open the door for him and just kind of dismisses him by saying, well, I'm glad you listened to Hermione Granger at any rate. <laughs> like she knows. Yeah. She knows damn well. <laughs> But that's now going to bring us to the end of the book chapter. Mm-hmm. And we do actually have someone to talk about, which we've been putting off forever and ever and we ever. Have. But you know what? This is the right time. This is the right time. This was such a good example of this character and how she is. And I got to say, Amelda Staunton, you kicked ass. Lady. Oh, my goodness. She <laughs> just was ombridge. Yeah. Like, she kicked ass in, in the previous scenes as well. She did great in all those previous scenes also. However, this was, like, our first real glimpse. Of just how much of a Pepto bitch mall she is. Exactly. Yeah, and the only thing that I felt went off character from the book, mm-hmm. not even off character completely, just this section, was the fact that they had her scream enough. Yeah. But it still worked so well for her to just have that moment where she lost her cool and then recollected and herself yeah, yeah. and went right back but the voice that she uses the giggle that she does the tone she takes on mm-hmm. the way that she wears pink everything so about perfect. her yeah and it's amazing to me how just an attitude can turn such a a beautiful person so ugly 
Oh my gosh. Because Imelda Stone, she's a gorgeous woman. She's beautiful. She's Umbridge a, is ugly on the inside and outside. Right? It bleeds out. And it did. She is just one of the best examples of an actress that is so good you end up hating her. Yes. Yes. And I can't sing her praises enough. I really yeah. can't. For everything that the movies get wrong, the casting for so many characters, not all, so many though, but so many, especially in this instance, especially Imelda, she is amazing. And it's so funny because I always thought like, oh my God, now that I've seen her like this, I'm not going to be able to picture her in a nice role or anything like that. And then I saw her in a couple other movies and she was playing like the good person. Yeah, she's kind of chameleon-esque. Very chameleon-esque because I wasn't even bothered. Yeah. It was just so perfect. And I I just, uh, oh, did I mention I can't sing her prizes enough? I love her <laughs> No, she's so fantastic. And I know that every time we have a scene with her, we're going to end up talking again about how fantastic she is. Yeah. But this is the moment where we really just wanted to say nailed it right <laughs> very much so and i know you're not listening but thank you amelda right for just your existence honestly <laughs> and your talent mm -hmm. but this will bring us to this week's potter pondering which is would you have been able to keep your head down and control your temper with dolores umbridge aka pepto bitch mall or would you have been aggressively cheeky like harry i would have been aggressively cheeky <laughs> I'd have kept my head down. I was such a non-starter <laughs> in school. I was so afraid of getting in trouble. I just, I really was. So I could talk myself out of most trouble. So I didn't mind if I got in it. But especially if it came to defending somebody else. Yeah. I'd start shit. I mean, I probably would join a crowd coming to the defense of someone else. But I was not a shit starter in school. So. Yeah. Which is fair. But we want to know what you guys think, so find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts, or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer, and don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Samantha Frazier. She writes, I'm a Gryffindor. My wand is alder wood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and 3 quarters inches, and my Patronus is an Ambethan hound. Well, I'm listening to you guys call yourselves old, and I'm laughing. I'm 50, <laughs> lol. My ex-mother-in-law took me and my two oldest kids, who were four and six, to see the first movie, and I fell instantly in love and went to the library and got all the books. I think one through four were out then. I read them all in like a minute. I totally forced it on my kids. They were never super into it at all. I took my youngest with me to see Chamber of Secrets in her baby carrier. She was an infant. Only my best friend was into it. Other moms were like, oh, those books are good. I'm like, good? <laughs> I worked in a department store in the evening, so I had all day to obsess over it and had to find groups on the internet. The fandom was just so awesome, and it was like, I can let my Potter freak flag fly free. MuggleNet was amazing. I obsessed over the Harry Potter lexicon. I was big time into fan fiction, especially with the killer wait for Order of the Phoenix. I made a ton of friends who I still talk to. I never grew out of it. 
my girlfriend is a Slytherin and totally tried to retake the test and was lying about her answers before realizing halfway through that this truly made her a Slytherin. <laughs> Laughing my ass off. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Samantha. Yes, thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what does Hermione threaten Fred and George with when they are giving first year's bits of fainting fancies in the common room? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag you wouldn't will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 13, Detention with Dolores, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.